This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In 1968, Robert Clark was 13 years old when he stood before a judge on a charge of vandalism. He was sentenced to a term of four months in the state training school for troubled youth in Kearney, Nebraska. Little did he know that he would never be free again. This is the story of a scared kid drawn deeper and deeper into the pit of incarceration and violence until there was no way out. This is the story of a youth who at the age of 14 was too young to be placed in general population of the Nebraska State Penitentiary, so was instead put into solitary confinement until he turned 16. This is the true story of Robert Clark, told in his own words and with interviews with friends and family. My name is Bob Clark. I've been incarcerated for a total of 53 years since July of 1968, and I got sent to a boys' training school in 1968 at the age of 13. And from there, I got sent to the Nebraska State Penitentiary in 1969 with a two to three year sentence. And I parlayed that into 121 to 222 years in lieu of violence against staff and inmates alike. And after years and years of solitary confinement, I was transferred to Kansas in 1987. This is where I remain now. Why don't you tell me about the beginning? Because my understanding of your story from reading it on Dina's blog is that your original incarceration was... 13 for a very low level kind of, you know, basically kid mischief. Yeah, it was actually vandalism, a misdemeanor that got me sent to boys training school. And then after numerous infractions at this boys training school in Kearney, Nebraska, I was sent to the state penitentiary in Lincoln, Nebraska in April of 1969 at the age of 14. So what happened when you arrived in a man's prison at 14? Well, when I was there, I went to a place called Receiving and Discharge, and under Nebraska law at that time, I was they, would, they wouldn't put me in the population, so they put me in solitary confinement until I turned 16. And then when I was 16, they let me out in the population, and then I just started uh, going from there, you know? Picking up, picking up time in, inside the prison, you know, for a, a series of assaults. No murders, assaults. And when you say assaults, you mean you were getting into fights? Well, no, they was uh, violent assaults against inmates and staff alike. So you were, you were. At that they point, were beyond fights, huh? You at, the, at that point, you were you were sixteen years old. Yeah, at that point I was 16 when I was released from solitary confinement. So I had to stay in solitary until I turned 16 to be able to 
live go out in the population due to my age. Okay, so so you you get out at sixteen, you are at that point, I would guess, pretty pissed. <laughs> I mean, well, not I don't well just you know confused you know about the whole the whole situation you know going from a boys training school right into an adult penitentiary and then right into solitary confinement it was hard yeah and and i had a lot of fear you know so i was trying to get me a reputation you know so i could live in there you know yeah i mean so what 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 was contact with your family like at that point when you were 16? My my, my contact with my family has always been pretty good. You know, I always had my mother, but I had a father, you know, that was in prison himself. You know, he was in prison. I had two brothers that did time in prison. But I still had a pretty good family base, you know. But, we, I mean, I mean... And I, I still have a mother today that I correspond with. I think the caveat there is, though, you're, you know, when I say contact, how often were they able to come visit? I was probably getting a visit up there back then when I was a young kid, probably about once a month. Okay. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to paint a little bit of a picture of what life was like at 16 in a man's penitentiary. So once a month you'd see your family. Well, I was actually in a life in a penitentiary when I was 14. Yeah, that's right. Even though, I mean, even though I was in solitary, well, 30 days I was in this RDU, and then I was in a solitary confinement cell at 14 till I turned 16, and that was really rough yeah. because, you know, you didn't have no fans, no TVs, no radios, no nothing. You was just in a small a small cell 24-7, you know? So, um, 1980s is when you sort of basically got transferred to Kansas. I got transferred to Kansas in 1987. And? On, on the interstate compact program, which they wanted me to get a fresh start somewhere else. And since I've been here, I've done great here. Okay. So no, I've got virtually no trouble here at all. So we're in 2021. <laughs> so what, what, what exactly... So every single charge you have since you came in happened inside. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and well, actually, yeah, but except one. Okay. And and what happened was I was I was on escape from boys training school, and I made it all the way to Omaha, and they picked a robbery charge up on me because I, I was I was fourteen at that time, and I pulled a pulled a knife on this guy. In an establishment, I got a dollar ten from it, and so what they did is they charged me for robbery. And when my first two to three year sentence is up, I thought I was getting released. But what they did is they took me back to Douglas County and gave me five years and sent me straight. So I never really made it out. So you're you're now in Kansas on the you said the interstate, right. interstate compact, and right, been right. There since 1987, you have no no right. violations, no write-ups since you've been Well, here. I've had two small violations, but since I've been here, man, I've got a, a, a GED, an AA, uh, I've wrote two books, and I worked at a private industry job for 22 straight years, solid years. And what job was that? It was called Impact Design. So you've essentially been without any problems there since the 80s yeah virtually 
none in Kansas at all. And and I've got letters of recommendation here from officers, all kind of things for when they give me the medium custody, you know. Right. So when, when is your, how do they kind of deal with a case like yours? Because I don't know anything about the Nebraska Well, what they, what they do is, see, right now, on my, my minimum sentence is 121 years. And my maximum sentence is 220 years. So right now, I'll never, ever be eligible for parole. But I'll die in here. So what I'm trying to do now, and I'm trying to do this through the Nebraska Pardon Board, I'm trying to get a time reduction on my minimum sentence just so I'll be eligible eligible for parole so at least I can face somebody and show them, you know, that I'm not the person that I was 40 years ago. Right, which you're not. And so right now they're denying it and they're turning it down, so... But but I keep striving to get it, you know, and that's my that's the only hope I ever got. Outside that, I've got four ten-year passes in a row, you know, because I'm not eligible for parole. I'm not asking them to let me out. I'm just asking for an eligibility date so I can face somebody to talk for myself. Right, which is yeah. that's all I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, and that makes to me that makes perfect sense. Well, I wrote that book to try to my goal was to try to help youngsters not do what I did when I first went in and don't screw your life up and get all this time, you know, like I did. And that's what I wrote that book for to try to get that out to young people that's in prison right now today, like I was, you know, to not, not to make a stupid mistake that I did, you know? Yeah. Well, I I think it's hard for people to even wrap their head around the amount of time that you've done. I know for yeah. me, I mean, so when you went in, when you first went in to the boys training school, that was yeah. three years before I was born and I'm going to be 51 in September. Yeah, that was 1968 is when I went in. So I'm going to tell you what I've missed. Man, I've never even been on a date with a female. I, I, I've never really, I've never had a, a car. I've never went fishing. I've never even been in a mall. I've, I've never, no type of technology things. I've missed out all on that, you know, my whole life. From 13 to 66, you know, I've been locked up. I'm virtually, I mean, lost as far as society. I, I mean, outside of, you know, I stay well read and things like that, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, obviously. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think talking to you, there's any uh, question about how well read you are. I talked to Dina, who we're both friends with, the other day. Yeah. You know, your story is is a cautionary tale, obviously, but it's also yeah. heartbreaking because basically yeah. the system took a 13-year-old kid, and yeah. and this is where you are now in your 60s. Yeah. You know, this is what they produce. Yeah. That's what you know, and I and believe me, man, I hey, I, I deserve a lot of this, you know, because I did what I did. And I'm not justifying making excuses. I'm responsible for everything that I've done. But I know people get, you know, I know people get second chances. Hey, you got a guy like John Hankley out there right now that shot the president of the United States. And he's out there, and and he's out there free right now. He hasn't even done half the time I've done. I mean, there's cases over and over and over. I know they treat every case differently, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
which is you know fair but, enough. But you know, I think the big thing, you know, for me is you know when we look at what has happened to especially youth offenders, individuals yeah. that are you're a very extreme case because you know when we talk to people that have life without parole um, yeah. that are juveniles generally it's individuals that are you know 15 16 17 years yeah. old but at 13 yeah. they essentially started this process and i mean you know brain, I, brain I, science you know, proves it sounds to me like a lot of the 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 really horrific stuff was early on and brain science yeah. proves that we aren't even fully developed adults until our mid-20s yeah you know? mid-20s and so here we are with a man who has you know spent every day since 1987 not not doing anything particularly obscene or or vicious well it's actually even been longer than that because you know I haven't really committed no violence since for 40 years because the last violent act that I committed was in 1981. So? So I was, but I was in solitary most all that time, you know, and then I, that's, they moved me up here from solitary. You have talked for 15 minutes for a total cost of $3.72. This message is at no cost. You may continue speaking now. I always forget that they do that. <laughs> when, when they do that. Uh, Plus, another thing is these rules here. You know, like I got to, I got to put some more money on the phone too, in in a couple of days. However, they do that around here because see, they've moved me all over this place because of that COVID stuff. You mm -hmm. know, although I'm fully vaccinated and everything. Yeah, I mean, so let's talk a little bit about, and you know, I don't know how long they give you on any one phone call. But, um, well, I, I I still probably got about oh, 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So this is good. Because right. the next subject I wanted to talk about, there's two. This is two parts. So right. one, yeah. I want to hear, because we want people to connect to your story. The problem with your story, Bob, is I, I find it completely horrific and heartbreaking, as does Dina, as does Suave, who I work with on the yeah. show. The people don't hear stories like yours because there's no Kim Kardashian or whoever. Kind nobody of... knows yeah nobody knows me or nothing. There's probably a lot of people in the, and I don't know about a lot but in the same situation we're just lost in the shuffle. You know? Yeah well and here's one of the things I want to point out to people that are listening to our show when I looked you up in both departments of corrections Nebraska, which is where you were sentenced, and Kansas, you're just, you're not there. It's not, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible to yeah. find you just from a regular inmate search, which I do all yeah. the time. I do it all the time. Right. I, you know, I look people yeah. up, I find out where they're housed, and, and not because I'm stalking anyone, obviously. These are all individuals yeah. that yeah. we interview. I'm just trying to figure out, like, okay, if I end up going to, to Kansas, where is this located? You know? Because the names of the prisons are always weird. They're not necessarily always named after the town they're in. You know, it's just kind of right, a, this, right. The, you know, and every road that I kind of, kind of every path I went down <clears throat> looking for you led me to one conclusion. Yeah. And it's, and this is what is incredibly sad to me. And what really, you know, I think people can connect with is like, essentially your, your name is 
kind of disappeared out of the system. Like you, I can't just yeah. find you in a regular inmate search. And yeah. what I want to explain to people and have them understand is that is actually the point of the system. So in your case, it's they're sort of working it the, the way that it's intended, which is that people become numbers and not names. Yeah. <clears throat> people don't have a story. And so I want to kind of go back to not the very beginning. You know, we can talk about boys training school, but I think what's Mm -hmm. what's really sort of, you know, shocking and really disgusting, quite honestly, to me is that they took a 14 year old and put you in a man's prison. And not only that, but they put nonviolent for nonviolent offense and and they put you into solitary confinement, which we're seeing yeah. more and more states finding as cruel and unusual yeah. punishment, including the state I live yeah. in, California. But it took yeah. here, it took a hunger strike, you know, yeah. to even get any traction on the law. Yeah. And you mentioned it, you know, we kind of glossed over it because I'm sure it's not a fun memory, but talk a little bit about that experience. Because when you said, you know, you were in a cell, you had no TV. I mean, we're talking about the 60s here. You were in a cell. Yeah. No TV. Nine. Yeah. Virtually no contact. You know, you were getting once a month visits. I actually felt it, it almost like brought a visceral reaction of like confusion and anger in me. Yeah. Just hearing that, you know, maybe yeah. expand a little bit on that for, you know, our listeners, because I, I don't think people that haven't experienced being in a cell alone, which I have, but yeah. not at that, not for that many years, understand how that yeah, feels. Well, it takes a. Uh... It takes a lot of mental adjustments to survive it. You know, I mean, you have to. I learned at an early age that you gotta, you have to try to stay in, to do something to stay occupied, read, exercise, just whatever you can do to to create some. You know, you're all when you're in solitary confinement for a long term. Basically, you're fighting. It's like sanity against insanity. You're trying to fight to stay sane. And that's basically what it is, you know. I mean, it's like being in a, it'd be like being in a little closet in a sort and trying to survive it. Well, and I, I think one of the things that I'd really like to hear, I, you know, how do you even process that at, at 13, well, 14 at, at years 14, old? Well, at 14, you know, you're, you're a youngster, you know, and, and the thing of it is, here you are at that age, you're supposed to be going into a, coming out of grade school, going into junior high, and then you're in a you're in a prison setting, seeing people getting murdered and beat up and burn up, and and this is what sticks. This is what mindset that you have to develop to survive in a in an environment like this, you know. And uh, you're basically in a human zoo, you know. Suave and I talk about this because he went in at, at he was arrested at 16, went in at 17. Yeah. And he almost immediately got into something with somebody, you know. Oh yeah, you because see, you have to. Uh, you have. It's like it's like being a when you're a young kid like that, man. It's like being a lamb thrown in with a den of wolves. So you better, you know. There's there's either a couple ways you can go. You got to try to stand up for yourself, or you got to run. One of the two, you know. You don't want to run. Some people don't want, choose not to run. And if you don't, you know, I, I know the first time I walked into that penitentiary at 14, I was scared to death. Yeah, of course. And I told myself, I told myself, I said, I will never ever feel this fear again in this place. I said, one of these. 
one of these days I'm going to be the most dangerous person inside this inside these walls. And that's the man, that's the mindset that I was trying to create for myself so I could make it in there, you know. And then here's the result. So 50 years later. Well, and one of the things that I think is really important to, to point out is that when you go into prison at a young age, you know, and you're you're in there with with grown men at 14 and then released yeah. into general population at 16, there's a high likelihood unless you do what you did that you're going to be yeah. a, a victim again. Oh and, yeah. And and to okay. begin with, mo- most people that okay. end up in prison or in custody as a juvenile yeah. have had childhood trauma that led them there to begin with. Yeah. So you go from yeah. this the situation of victim and then you end up being an actor in a crime, whatever it was, in your case yeah. a nonviolent crime, vandalism. Yeah. And then you're yeah. you're you're in a situation that your brain can't even comprehend. You're suddenly yeah. now thrust into solitary confinement and then yeah. you're released into general population, not even fully grown yet. Yeah. Having to fight with men. And Suave had a knife fight early on in his yeah. time in because somebody tested you know they wanted to yeah. put their hands yeah, on you're going to get tested you're going to get tested there's no doubt about that and i think when people see a case like yours they're like oh well bob was violent he assaulted other inmates and he assaulted the guards and you know i think yeah. putting it in context it, especially the fact that you take responsibility for your actions oh yes definitely is is really like, important like i was telling you when i was telling you even no matter what, if, if I, you know, to me, helping, helping other youngsters not go through what I went through and not put themselves what I do, that's good enough for me right there, you know. If I can save, you know, because my life, I mean, I'm 66, I'm in pretty good health, you know, but still, if, if I can make a difference for youngsters or anybody in life not to do what I did, that's good for me, man. I'm 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 good with that, you know, even if I never do get out, you know. I mean I want out, but there's nothing I can do about that, you know. Well the you know, and the thing is like you know, there's still states that put fifteen, sixteen year old boys in with men and oh, yeah. prison. And yeah. We're the only country in the world that does this. You know? Yeah, I know. And really ultimately you didn't get your life sentence as a juvenile, but you kind of did. I mean, well, the yeah, sentencing I mean, was just, handed down later on during, during your. Yeah, it, well, you got your life set. The minute that they walked you into that prison at fourteen, yeah. they pretty much sealed your fate. And the listeners too will appreciate the fact that you take responsibility for your own actions because that. Oh is, yeah, I, I, I mean, I did. I did. What, I mean, I, I apologized over and over to anybody I've ever heard in my life. And, but that's all I've got to offer. I don't see, it, it, unless you're given a chance to prove yourself, you'll need, I mean, no one will ever know. No, no one will ever know but God if, if you're for real or not, you know. So until you're put out there and given a chance, you're never, you'll never know. So even if, if I'm never given the chance, you know, I'm, I'm still showing the empathy and the remorse, but you can only show so much, you know. I mean, I can't keep talking it talking it without showing it you know right well but i think that the fact that you that you haven't you know the best amends is always to not repeat the behavior right yeah because right what you're saying is absolutely true you know talk minus action equals zero 
So right. when when you're when you're when you say to me, Kevin, listen, I haven't put my hands on anybody since the '80s, since the early '80s. I'm still in prison. I'm looking at the possibility of of 240 years or 244 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's death by incarceration. That's the reason that we named this podcast. What we yeah, did. it is. They it, they sent they sentenced is. you to death. They 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 can say yeah. that it's a life sentence, but it's not. Yeah. They, they they use that yeah. word as some way for us to be okay with it. And the fact of the matter is that you're not going to the electric chair, you're not going to the gas chamber, or getting lethal injection, but you are. I mean, the idea of putting someone in prison for the rest of their natural life is essentially a death sentence, yeah. and. You know, the fact, life without life without parole, it's a death sentence. Yep, and so we're we're dealing in a situation where we're we're calling our systems. In, you know, in, in California, it's the CDCR, right? We're the Department mm-hmm. of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Yeah. Yet we're not allowing that second part to, you know, kind of grow and come to fruition for most people in prison, because we also yeah. give give out the largest amount of life sentences in the United States. Right. And so we look at a case like yours, or I do, and I say to myself, when, when we're not even talking about a second chance here. We're actually talking about a chance because the, when you got walked into the boys' training school for vandalism, yeah, the state of Nebraska had already labeled you incorrigible. Yeah. And so every single person within that system from then forward no matter what you did was going to view you anytime you acted out it, oh of course he's acting out he's incorrigible you know yeah. and that's the problem is that we're, we're not you know you're in a you were in a system in the 60s especially that didn't have therapy and didn't have ways of sort of you know learning new behaviors it was like you were you nothing were, but it was nothing but mass punishment yep and it's and unfortunately, it sounds to me like in your case, it still was all the way through to today. Like yeah. the things you've done, have you? I mean, how much support do you get from the prison for writing a book, or do you just you had to get your own paper? Well, yeah. matter of fact, matter of fact, they wouldn't even. They just I just tried to get my book in, and they turned it down, mm-hmm. and I had to send it out because they said it was uh, a threat to this security of the institution so I couldn't even have my own my own book in here how 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 is a book a threat what I mean what's in your book that's threatening? well that just the way they perceive it I guess because you know I told my story of the violence and stuff that I went through but my whole book was intended to help young people you know but they didn't see it that way so it's no big thing it is what it is you know it's their policy and that's they're gonna stand on it hmm. So how do you get materials in there? Like how, if you, if you need, if you want to order, you know, magazines or books or anything. Oh, you can, oh yeah, you can do stuff like that. I mean, you can, you can still get books and things like that in, but I mean, in some, sometimes, you know, they, they censor them if they feel that, see, there, there's a magazine out there. You have talked for 30 minutes for a total cost of $7 and 43 cents. This message is at no cost. You may continue speaking now. See, there's a, a magazine out there in San Francisco right now. I think you've probably heard of it, Bayview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, of course. It's a prison. Yeah, well, anyway, I get that. Sometimes they won't let that in because they, they, they say it's too radical, you know. It's all about the California prison systems and stuff. Yep. And what about media as far as, like, 
TV and do you have Well, t- yeah, that just depends. That, that depends on what facility you're in. Some some people, I mean, some facilities allow things, certain things and others don't, you know. So where you're at right now, what is, what's the... Well, where I'm at right now, they're, you know, they allow things, you know, they they allow TVs and things like that. So you have a TV in your cell? Yeah. Okay, so they allow that. And then what, what's the access as far as, like, channels, etc.? Oh, they've got, you know, they've got some cable channels, things like that, you know. Yeah. You know, they've got, you can have a fan. We don't have no air conditioner or nothing like that. What town are you well, in? We got... Huh? What town is the prison in? I'm in uh, Norton Correctional Facility in Norton, Kansas. So, let's see here. I'm just checking something really quick. So today it's yeah. supposed to be 73 degrees. Humidity's kicking too, though. Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. It's all right, though. It's gonna be almost. Right. It's gonna be almost 90. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have a. You guys aren't allowed to have fans, or you're not. You don't have any air conditioning. We got a fan. But you have no air conditioning. No, we don't have. We don't have no air conditioning. So we last time we talked, we talked about kind of where where you ended up after all of the stuff that happened while you were in prison. Right. We didn't really get into any details around any of the stuff that actually happened specifically, but I did want to talk a little bit more about how court went for you while you were in prison, and I'm sure Suave will have some comments and questions about that, because it's something we haven't really talked about on the show when people pick up charges in prison. How does that process go in Nebraska? And again, again, for everybody that's going to be listening, this is Bob Clark calling us from Kansas, who is actually a inmate in Nebraska, but has been transferred, so just to give the context. So let's let's talk about well, court. They, they basically uh, take you down and they arraign you and give you a preliminary hearing and uh, charge you. And, and it's your choice to either plead or go to a jury trial. And I've had several charges up there. And I got two of them were jury trials. And one was a no contest. The, the jury trials, the last one, I got rid of my lawyer and I went pro se and represented myself which was a stupid thing to do because it hurt a lot of actions that I could have did in the courts, you know? Right. Because I went pro se and represented myself in a jury trial from solitary confinement with no uh, knowledge of the law, you know? Hmm. So when, when you actually had court dates, where did they take you? They take you down to the courthouse. In and... my case, I went into Lancaster County, Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. So they actually take you down out of solitary confinement into a courtroom setting, and were you were right. you restrained in any way during court? Oh, leg iron, handcuffs. Last time I checked, that's unconstitutional. Well, I don't know. I think different states have different policies. I'm not really sure if if it's a United States Supreme Court ruling. See, what I've, I've been trying to do now is is I'm trying to get my minimum sentence reduced to something where I'm actually eligible for parole. Right now, with my sentence structure, I'll never be eligible for parole. Death by Incarceration was created to look at every aspect of the current criminal justice system. Each week, we will share stories intended to shed light on institutions that viciously target 
and harm marginalized communities, specifically communities of color. We will interview individuals currently incarcerated, those who have returned from incarceration, prosecutors, defense attorneys, victims, policymakers, and community members working to bring about change. Brought to you by Crawlspace Media, Suave Gonzalez, and Kevin McCracken. Please listen, follow, and subscribe to Death by Incarceration wherever you get your podcasts. Media Podcast.